Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of the Lavender Woman Podcast. Can you guys believe that we are in season two? I can't even believe it. Um, We've been on hiatus for about three weeks now, and I'm back with new material. And as promised, we have a special history episode that is coming your way momentarily. Um, Just want to make sure everyone has been doing well, if you've been applying your affirmations and watering your seeds of intention, and just being intentional and purposeful with your day. Um, As I said in the last episode, we're international. Can y'all believe that? We have listeners in the U.S., in Canada, in Spain, in Ireland, in Germany, and the list goes on. So I'm so appreciative to my listeners and to those who are sharing information about this podcast and also subscribing and rating this podcast. Your um, dedication means so much to me. So we're going to jump right into this episode because it is a good one, you guys. Um, As I said in the last episode, I wanted to do a special episode around Juneteenth. And so I have a special guest here that is going to help us with this because I definitely don't know enough about this topic to do it on my own. So with us today, we have Miss Olivia Cochran joining us. Um, She is from Virginia and she currently works at a high school in Virginia where she teaches social studies. One of her classes is African-American studies where they analyze the story of African-Americans starting all the way back in ancient African kingdoms up until present day America. She did not start out teaching American, African-American history, but since she started, she's learned so much about how African-American history has intertwined with general American history. I would like to welcome Miss Olivia Cochran to the Lavender Woman platform. Hello. Thank you for having <laughs> Thank me. Thank you so much for accepting <laughs> the invitation. When I sent it out, I was like, what if, you know, no one responds? So they think it's weird and they don't want to do it. But you responded. You were open. And I really appreciate it. No problem. I'm glad to be here. So we are going to start with just something general because a lot of people. Okay, so let me get started with how this topic came up. I put something on my Instagram page, my personal and the Lavender Woman page about 4th of July, Independence Day versus Juneteenth. And a lot of people were like, what are you talking about? And I was sitting here like, okay, we have to fix this because we should know. And I'm saying we, especially those of us in the African-American culture, we should know what that day means, what that day represents. And a lot of us of us don't. So I wanted to throw some knowledge away to just expand the information that we have about that. So, Miss Cochran, can you explain to the Lavender Woman platform what exactly Juneteenth is? Juneteenth is a very interesting holiday. Um, It is a holiday that celebrates the emancipation of slaves in America, um, particularly during the Civil War time. And there's a lot of different dates that people could say the real emancipation of African Americans is. But throughout the time of Juneteenth being a celebration, it's kind of become the official date being June 19th. And so Juneteenth is a celebration of the emancipation of slaves in America. Um, And it's called Juneteenth because it's celebrated on June 19th, and it's been put together to make Juneteenth. So did it originate in Texas in 1865 with the first emancipation of the slaves? Yes, it did. So back in 1860s when civil war was being fought, um, 
the war actually started in 1861, and it lasted for about five years. Um, during the Civil War, President Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation in like 1862. Um, but since they didn't have email or <laughs> social media exactly. to spread the word, uh -huh. uh, it took a long time to get out. And um, part of the reason it didn't get out as fast is because those in the South um, they aren't going to be quick to release their slaves. Right. And so um, those slaves in Texas really didn't hear about it until about three years after the initial Emancipation Proclamation was issued, wow. mainly because communication wasn't there mm -hmm. and because their slave masters weren't going to tell them if mm -hmm. they're not being held accountable to actually free their slaves. So. so from the start of the Emancipation Proclamation, about how many years did it take for, and I know you may not know a, you know a definite answer, but how long was that process to free all the slaves? Um, I would say to free all of them in America, about three, because the official banning of slavery as an institution in America didn't come until the 13th Amendment in uh, 1865. Okay. So the Juneteenth is a good celebration for those slaves who were supposed to be freed under the Emancipation Proclamation. Gotcha. Um, but I guess kind of in reality, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like with Christmas and how Jesus may not have actually been born on the 25th, but we celebrate it on the 25th. Exactly. Uh, it's mm -hmm. kind of the same way Juneteenth is celebrated on June 19th, but the actual uh, freedom and uh, banning of slavery in America didn't happen until like December of 1865. Got you. Yeah, yeah I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that timeline is really important. Can you just shed some light on the timeline leading up to that, after that? I want you to paint a picture of the timeline during that particular time in our African-American history. Okay. So America has been divided over the issue of slavery ever since it was created. Mm -hmm. um, our founding fathers knew that it was an issue that was going to need to be solved, but they didn't feel equipped slash want to solve it in oh, some ways. Yes, ma'am. And so actually in our constitution, you'll see some compromises and things that like deliberately keep slavery mm -hmm. intact. Mm -hmm. They just don't mention the word slavery. And that's still there <laughs> to this day, correct? Mm -hmm. There's okay. just amendments that have kind of like smoothed it over. I yeah. don't recall, and I hate to cut you off. I want to come you back did. to that thought, but I was... I think it was Sean King, um, who is like an activist of our day. He mentioned something about that, I believe, yesterday or the day before on his page about how that language is still there to mm -hmm. this day, and I was blown away at that. Yeah, and I think off the top of my head, I feel like the only time slavery is really like mentioned is in the 13th Amendment to free the slaves, but it's not really like something deliberately said um, about enslaved people. It's usually talk about people who are forced to do labor mm -hmm. or some other fancy way of saying okay. slave. <laughs> okay. But they're never really freed until the 13th Amendment in like 1865. Okay. Yeah. All right. um, so we have this inner tension in America up and through from 1776 up through 1865, really, um, when we have this civil war happening. Mm -hmm. um, it starts in 1861, like I said, and the president at first doesn't really want to get rid of slavery. He's kind of playing politics, President Lincoln, mm -hmm. because in, he's a Republican, and at that time, Republican means no slavery, and Democrat means yes slavery. So it's kind oh. of a flip of our political system today. I never knew yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think <laughs> back to my elementary, you know, my middle, my high school, even my college. I don't ever recall learning that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's difficult to think of it in a right. straight line. But yeah, so when his when his time was there, Republican was a little bit different. Um, but in order to make 
make sure he's getting the votes of those in the South, mm -hmm. he needs to kind of appease them. Right. And so in his uh, inaugural address, he actually says, I don't have any reason to get rid of slavery. I don't even think I have the power from the Constitution to get rid of slavery. You are okay, people in the South. I don't want to do this. And mm -hmm. part of the reason he does this is because there's already some states who have either started to secede or are talking about seceding from the union. And so he's kind of like, I just want the union to get back together. It's kind of like the child with their parents' divorce. I just want you guys to get back together. Right. I don't want to like make any uh, waves. Um, and so he starts off with that rhetoric, but throughout the war, it comes clear that it's brother against brother, town against town. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be an issue that's just going to be smoothed over by a Band-Aid of Union. Okay. Um, and so in 1862, he actually issued the Emancipation Proclamation as sort of a war measure. Okay. You could question whether he actually wants to free the slaves or not. Um, but the actual text of the proclamation doesn't free all of the slaves. That's another myth people think is just kind of like, everybody's free, but it's really just those slaves who exist in those states that are seceding, so mainly southern states. The but there southern are, states. Yeah, there are slaves in border states like Maryland mm -hmm. who are not affected by this. Mm -hmm. um, he actually lists them out by like county and parishes and okay. some um, places that are affected by this. So not all the slaves are freed, um, by the Emancipation Proclamation, but he says specifically those in rebellion because those states that are in rebellion against the Union, he feels he has the power to emancipate the slaves because you're not, you're fighting against me. Why exactly. would I So you're rebelling, you so I'm going to, okay. Yeah, so it's kind of seen as a war measure, and throughout the Civil War, you kind of see African Americans used as war measure because the status of them at the time is at their property. Mm -hmm. So um, you have the Emancipation Proclamation, you have in Hampton, um, where we're talking now, um, you have the contraband decision. And there's these three guys from Norfolk, African-American slaves who come over to Fort Monroe mm -hmm. um, and they're asking for their freedom. They don't want to be slaves anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and the Union forces at Fort Monroe um, issue them, well, I guess issue them, freedom mm -hmm. um, as contraband. So okay. their property status is saying that slaves who come to Union um, can get their freedom as long as they work and help the Union because they're seen as property that's helping the Confederates win the war. Okay. So it's all their status as property helps them get freedom as well. So do we know, I know we're talking about the timeline, mm -hmm. but do we know how this started? The whole slavery, where did this come oh. from? And how did it start? <laughs> okay, we can do the little mirage. Right, right. right. Like, yeah. It's, it's yeah. like how, so it's like, okay, in my mind, it's a picture of one day everything was fine, and then the next day it wasn't. It's, how did it happen? Slavery is something that's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years mm -hmm. um if you're a christian you read about it in the bible right. i'm sure it's in the torah somewhere yeah, if you're Hebrew just a historian the bible, right. yeah there's slaves um in egypt helping the pharaohs um in ancient greek they're helping um ancient greeks <laughs> uh leadership there mm -hmm. build things and um help them it's not really until like I would say the 1400s or the 1500s that slavery starts to shift to I conquered you so now you're my slave and then you can work for your freedom to mm -hmm. you are a certain physical appearance or right. look mm -hmm. and therefore I'm going to capture you and sell you into slavery. Mm -hmm. um, 
I would say it starts with the Portuguese. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, Enlighten us. I, this is information that I'm sure a lot of our listeners um, are, you know, they're the not Dutch, aware of. Uh, those important explorers who start to find their way to um, around Africa to mm -hmm. get better trade routes. They're okay. also making pit stops. Mm -hmm. And in those pit stops, there's already slavery that exists. But instead of... Um, saying, oh, you're an African, I'm going to take you. It's kind of like, well, I want gold, I want frankincense, myrrh, salt, and give me some slaves too. Mm. Um, and this starts to turn to let me have African slaves um, because in the New World, there's some unique challenges to keeping slaves over there. When the European explorers come over to the New World, Columbus held the ocean blue, 1492, mm -hmm. all that good, good jingle. Um, they need people to help them get the gold and get the plants and get the raw materials. Native Americans would be the first people mm -hmm. that you would try and subjugate and use. And Columbus actually says, oh, these people would be good, um, basically slave laborers mm -hmm. to help them. Um, it's just a problem is, is that Native Americans never really had contact with Europeans. And mm -hmm. so whatever diseases that the Europeans have it came over with them, come over with like them, smallpox being one small of them, smallpox yeah. being the main one. Yeah. Um, and it's not a deliberate thing. Like right. they're contaminating blankets and giving them to them. Mm -hmm. They are just not immune to the diseases. Mm -hmm. And so, um, through violence and through disease, the Native American population actually gets killed off fairly quickly. And so, the natural laborers you would have in these new areas are starting to die. You need to replenish them. Mm -hmm. Europeans probably aren't going to be the best choice either because, one, they look too similar to their captors. Okay. And so if they do try and break their labor contract, how are you going to hold you them accountable? Exactly. You can't, you really can't distinguish them. Exactly. Yeah. You can't distinguish them. Okay. Yeah. And so the next, I guess, logical one, you're already trading slaves in Africa. Mm -hmm. You're already using that labor. Mm -hmm. um, let's use Africans in America. And at first, it's not necessarily racist or anything derogatory because it's already happening. Mm -hmm. um, but because they're dark skinned, they're mm -hmm. easy to spot. Um, because they are new to the area, you don't have to necessarily worry about them running away because they don't they know don't where, know to, where go. to go. Right. Um, you can find them easily. Mm -hmm. um, so they just kind of become a natural source of labor. Okay. And um, through that, you still have African tribes who are profiting as well off of slavery. Okay. And so the leadership, the chiefs in these kingdoms and these um, tribes in Africa are selling their um, people or their enemies or mm -hmm. however that may be. Um, and using Africans in the new world kind of comes, you kind of need to distinguish who's being sold because they're enemies and who's being sold or who's not being sold because they're like leaders. Mm -hmm. um, and so to, to kind of distinguish Africans as slaves versus Africans as leaders, okay. you kind of have to create a status for them okay. in the new uh, world. And so that's kind of where the status of African as lesser and as slave mm -hmm. becomes to evolve. And okay. so um, in Virginia, you have a lot of different things mixing up um, in the England colonies to kind of sort of keep separate African slaves white indentured servants, the white planters, mm -hmm. and you have to create this caste system where there's not like 
white people who are lesser than African Americans because mm -hmm. that's unheard of. If mm -hmm. you're a slave and you're forced to do this, right. and I'm an indentured servant mm -hmm. and I can work off my debt, mm -hmm. why? How are we similar? Right. Um, and so you start to see that divide in race happen. Okay. I would say probably the 1600s. The 1600s. Yeah. Okay, so that's where we are in the timeline concerning that. Mm -hmm. What happens after that? So um, America it was very hypocritical. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole time they're in the new world, it's kind of like, you know, when you have a child, I don't have my own, but I work at a daycare in the summer and I work with high schoolers mm -hmm. during the day, um, during the regular year. And when they have a child, they start off, they love their mother, they're dependent, they hug, they mm -hmm. just say things, they love them. Mm -hmm. As you get older, middle school, mm -hmm. and then the hormones, and they start oh, to get yes. rebellious, and mm -hmm. then high school, they start to think they know everything. Yes. and They don't come out of their bedroom. And yeah. stuff like that. Oh yeah, I, I don't know anything about that. But I'm just, I, I heard that's what they do. Yeah. You know? yeah. mm -hmm. I would say it's very similar for Americans. At first, they come over here. They're like, "Okay, mommy, we still need your help. This is like we're starting to like spread out and see what's what. Mm -hmm. um, we have these Indian neighbors that we need to manage. Okay. There's French people in the north. There's Spanish people in the south already. Can you help us? Like, make sure we have a spot." Um, different worlds, wars break out. You got the French Indian War that happens. Um, and as a result of these wars and as a result of Mother Britain kind of helping America get its spot in the new world, mm -hmm. um, the Americans, I guess you could see that, say that they're becoming like ungrateful for the help mm. um, because Britain helps them fight the war and mm -hmm. get their space and mm -hmm. come up with a line of actual, here's American or English territory in right. America, mm -hmm. um, but they don't want to pay for any of the stuff that their parent is doing. Okay. okay. <laughs> so we fought this expensive war. Britain's like starting to go into a little bit of debt, mm -hmm. but yet you don't want to pay taxes to pay off the war that mm. we helped you fight. Okay. Um, and so we get into the American Revolution with the issue of um, no taxation without representation mm -hmm. and. Americans not becoming a slave to tyranny. Um, you see American, white Americans saying, I don't want to be a slave anymore to the British monarchy, and they have their own slaves on, on the plantation. I don't even <laughs> understand it's very how you could say that ironic in, in the same, I don't understand. In one breath, you're saying, I don't want to do this, but you literally have slaves on your property working at your home on your plantation. Yes. Like, <laughs> the nerve, the yes, audacity, I, yes. I just, I can't wrap my mind around it. But, but I don't think it's lost on a lot of white Americans. I definitely don't think it's lost on the African Americans okay. that are um, there. You do have some free African Americans that are there, but a lot of the African Americans in America at this time are slaves, mm -hmm. and they they have some important decisions to make, whether they should fight for the Americans or fight for the British, who's gonna get them freedom. Um, America's fighting for freedom, mm -hmm. does that include me? Mm -hmm. Britain's fighting um, to keep their colony. If I'm loyal to them, they're promising me freedom. All this stuff is going on, they have decisions to make. Um, but you definitely see that the new America that's coming up that our founders are trying to create is kinda like, uh, because of the status we have already given you, I don't really see African-American slaves or really just slaves mm -hmm. as Americans, mm -hmm. as citizens mm -hmm. deserving the same rights and responsibilities as white Americans are. 
Um, our founding fathers have huge trust issues with regular white Americans who are just farmers mm -hmm. at this time. That's why we had the Electoral College, which I guess we can talk about later. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but um, founding fathers don't necessarily trust the average American anyways, um, so there's not really much room in the Constitution for African Americans. Okay. Um, and so they kind of become almost pawns. Mm. You've heard of the three-fifth compromise, yes. maybe, mm -hmm. um, where African Americans are seen as three-fifths three three of a person. person. Yes. Um, people in the North at this time aren't necessarily fans of slavery for various reasons. Some of them, it's a moral reason. There's a lot of religious people in mm -hmm. the North, like the Quakers. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also, they don't really use slaves on a day-to-day -day basis. They don't have plantations. Right, they don't right. have large labor forces that they need. Right, They're like mainly the mer merchants mm -hmm. and industrial. Mm -hmm. um, in the South, there are a lot of, lot for slavery because that's their major mm -hmm. source of income. Exactly. Um, and so those in the North, they don't necessarily want slaves to be counted in the Constitution, because that'll give Southern states more power, because okay. that's more people that mm -hmm. they can count. Exactly, um, a lot more people. Southern states want slaves to be counted mm -hmm. as citizens in our Constitution, which is weird, um, because that gives them more power, because it's more people. More people, And right. so they come up with this three-fifths compromise to say, okay, so we get some, but you don't get all. And you see that continuously through the founding of our nation, how Amer African Americans are kind of used um, in our government system. And so it's, it's woven into the fabric of America. So whenever people talk about race today, it's kind of like, it's hard to separate because it's, it's there. It's there, <laughs> right, right. Um, but we kind of, we see after the Revolutionary War and after the Constitution is ratified, kind of like a I don't necessarily want to say stagnant. I mean, America's just kind of crazy at this during this time. Like, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things going on with, like, Native Americans and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But African Americans, they're just kind of, like, doing their thing. They're slaves. Um, we focus a lot on the life of uh, slaves at this time in my African American studies class. Okay. Um, they rebel. You have Nat Turner. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. There's other rebellions that go on. They do try and run away. But for the most part, they're just kind of stuck in their status mm -hmm. as slaves. Mm -hmm. But you still see Americans in general and African Americans speaking out on behalf of African Americans. And okay. so the tension doesn't stop, it's just kind of like slowly vibrating. And then okay. it starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger as you get closer to 1861. Okay. Um, at this time, we're focused on like westward expansion okay. a little bit too. And so the question of what do we do with slavery and those territories we're adding mm -hmm. comes into play. And so um, some people want the people who are starting the states mm -hmm. to decide mm -hmm. what they want to do with slavery. Um, some of them say no, no slavery. Some of them say yes, yes, slavery. Mm -hmm. um, and this, the, this tension of how do we expand slavery or how do we not expand slavery or expand America with or without it right. um, creates the bigger issue at play of states' rights and mm -hmm. um, if you decide what we have to do with our property, our slaves, right. what else can you decide as a government? Mm -hmm. um, and this starts to boil over when Abraham Lincoln is elected. Mm -hmm. As we know, now that I've said, <laughs> the Republicans right. are right. The Republicans. against slavery, Democrats are for slavery. And so it kind of, uh, 
I don't know if I want to say his election starts the Civil War. It's definitely kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. Okay. Um, but at the time of his inauguration, I believe seven states, I want to say, had already seceded. Mm-hmm. I know for sure mm, South Carolina had already seceded. Okay. North Carolina or South Carolina. I'd have to fact check that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but at least one state had already seceded by the time he was elected. Okay. Or inaugurated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of like damage control at this point and the damage control turns into war <laughs> and gotcha. realizing we can't really fix it with the band-aid and then we're up to 1862 mm. with the emancipation population okay. um and it doesn't actually go into effect until 1863 because they want to kind of give states the opportunity to come back to the union mm-hmm. because pretty much it says slaves in these states that are in rebellion against the union are henceforth and forevermore shall be free as of January 1st, 1863, which would lead you to believe that if these states that were in rebellion come back into the fold of the Union Mm -hmm. by the time of January 1st, 1863, they can keep their slaves. Got you. So none of the states really bite on this. They kind of still are seceded and they're like, no, I don't really want to do it on your terms. Mm -hmm. I still want to have my own. Mm -hmm. Um, The Confederacy at this time is like trying to legitimize themselves as a new country. Um, And there are some countries, I believe the Great Britain um, starts to recognize them as their own country Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you have that play into it as well. Um, And so the fighting continues and continues and eventually the Union does win the war and they have the surrender in 1865. Um, General Lee surrenders to General Grant. Mm-hmm. Um, but during this time, too, still not all the slaves are free. Right. Those ones in rebellion are still free. Mm-hmm. Um, those ones in Texas, the ones that start Juneteenth, haven't heard. Exactly. Um, The war ends, I believe, in April, I want to say. And they don't hear about any of it until June. (laughs) Part of the reason for that, of course, we talked about is communication and the um, neglection of their masters telling them. Telling them. But Mm -hmm. most of the war is fought in places like Virginia, Mm -hmm. North Carolina, Mm -hmm. Georgia, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Texas is like out of the way so mm-hmm. there's not really any oversight there any fighting there really to like kind of register mm-hmm. on the map that mm-hmm. i mean they know what's going on but they don't know what actually is going right. on that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> and so they find out um june 19th 1865 um which is after lincoln is assassinated right that's what i was going to say so during this time Lincoln was assassinated. Yeah. Hmm. Yes, he was assassinated five days after the Civil War ended. Okay. Yes. Um, he had been trying to get an amendment passed, the 13th Amendment that banned slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, it had passed Congress. Um, how you pass amendments in America is you have to pass it in Congress, and then you have to have all the states mm-hmm. ratify it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they pass it in congress but lincoln actually is assassinated before he's seen the states ratify it they don't ratify it until december of that year Mm. um and so in june we have the slaves specifically i've read that it's in galveston texas Mm -hmm. where this um, order is read but you have general major general 
Gordon Granger. Um, he makes his way down to Texas um, and makes sure the union is heard mm -hmm. that we won. You need to listen to us. Get in line. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he is reading what is called General Order Number 3. Okay. There's multiple orders to it, uh, but it basically says what the Emancipation Proclamation said. Okay. Um, uh, African Americans, these slaves are free, and states that were in rebellion, you need to free your slaves, mm -hmm. and we're going to come and collect and make sure you are actually freeing them. Okay. Um, what actually happens, though, I mean, you have the big celebration. The slaves hear this, they're celebrating, they are dancing. Mm -hmm. uh, you could just imagine. Uh, yes, <laughs> I could absolutely imagine hearing that I am free. Yes. Yeah, an entire party is, is going down. Yes. Right. The uh -huh. only thing I can think of right now in this moment is on Saturday, our school has their graduation mm -hmm. and all of those students walking across the stage. Mm -hmm. It's like that. But That's how it felt. Right, 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 right. But probably like 25 <laughs> yeah. times that, that level of excitement. Yes. Right. Yeah. I understand. Yes. Um, the freedom, though, doesn't actually come. So what ends up happening is these slaves are free, mm -hmm. um, but what are they going to do now? What are they Where are they going to gonna live? Right. Where are they going to work? Um, what ends up happening, happening is you have this idea of sharecropping. Mm -hmm. They end up just working on their old master's plantation mm -hmm. again. They get paid, not mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. They get to live in their old raggedy shack. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but it's kind of not much different. And a lot of it also is the slave masters, when this is read, still work their slaves until the harvest period is done so they can still get the money mm -hmm. from their free labor. Mm -hmm. um, and so even with this reading, there are some slaves who are not like actually free free, free free yeah gotcha um and depending on your idea of freedom you don't really have that until after like 1960 because even still um you have what's called the black codes that are put in place after the civil war ends to kind of manage the free slave population um slaves are free what are we going to do are they going to want to like be citizens they're mm -hmm. going to want to vote they're mm -hmm. going to want to be president how do we handle this mm -hmm. um and so the black codes basically put restrictions on them like curfews mm -hmm. you can't be in a group of like black people together on the street mm -hmm. you have to do certain things you have to do certain things at certain times still kind of keeping the status of slavery mm -hmm. as they would have known it just legally and less inhumanely I guess like right. you're still seen as free mm -hmm. but you have these restrictions on you and you said that that the real freedom really didn't come until like the 1960s. So yes. we're more familiar with it in the terms of like segregation mm -hmm. and things of that nature concerning the restrictions of places that you can sit on the bus, mm -hmm. Rosa Park, you know, and things like that. So we're talking from the 1700s? No, oh, 1600s. 1600s really, yeah. until the 1960s for it to come full circle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's unimaginable. Yeah, African Americans think. or Africans in general. Well, mm -hmm. African Americans are slaves for about like three hundred to four hundred years. Yeah, and when you think about it, like you always hear that that time frame, but when you really think about it in the timeline that you're breaking down, mm -hmm. it just makes it even more yeah. just so inhumane and so hard to even listen mm -hmm. to because you know it's like yeah, you know that they were you know enslaved for this amount of time. My mom was born into segregation and just to think that when she was a little girl, you know, she couldn't drink from certain water fountains or mm -hmm. she couldn't go to certain restrooms. 
I couldn't imagine that for my children. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's hard yeah. to even think that you have to, and when you think about it, not a lot is different now. Mm-hmm. I think it's just changed as far as who the superiors are that, um, you know, is initiating this type of treatment towards certain cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, but to tell your child, you know, you can't use that restroom. Mm-hmm. Now the conversations that we're having with our children is how to um, conduct yourself yourself in public. public (laughs) And if you get pulled over by the police, you don't do this, you don't do that, and those type of things. So we're still kind of going through the transitions Mm -hmm. of um, just unfair treatment in America. African Americans haven't been free for as long as they were slave yet. So it's not going to happen overnight. Oh, I didn't think about it like that. Yeah. Yeah, it hasn't been that long compared to how long they were enslaved. Yeah. I have to remind my students about that in our African American studies class because there's a portion, there's a long portion of African American history that's in slavery, and so we talk about ancient African kingdoms and like the celebration and the culture and all that good stuff. And then I'm like, okay, so in the next like few weeks, mm-hmm. it's gonna be kind of dark mm-hmm. <laughs> because right. that's just how it goes. Mm-hmm. And so we're in slavery for a long time and some of the students are like, when are we gonna stop talking about slavery? But I'm like, you gotta understand. That's like, how long it was. <laughs> that's how long. <laughs> so do you think, okay, say for instance, this earth survives another three to 400 years. Do you think it's gonna take that long for this entire plate to be rectified? Or do you think even then we're still going to have issues of discrimination and racism? I I don't know. I'm I want to be optimistic about it. Of course, it, of course. But I feel pessimistic about it just because it there's other things that divide us. And mm-hmm. I feel like as long as there's something that we recognize that divides us, mm-hmm. it's going to be difficult for us to come together and unite. Right. And it's it's kind of a double-edged sword because you want uniqueness, you want diversity. Right, of course. But you also want to be one race, one human race, and work together, but you also want to recognize the differences. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to recognize the differences and still be respectful. Gotcha. Um, so it, it's, it's difficult. I think as time goes on, I want to say like maybe... 50 more years <laughs> we'll see a lot less issues there's probably going to be like little things like in slavery it was like okay people were being lynched and beat civil war, uh, civil rights it was people are being like squirted with fire uh, hose when they're protesting and mm-hmm. segregation mm-hmm. today it's police brutality and it's like it gets it's still big issues, but it gets smaller and smaller in mm-hmm. severity. And so I feel like in 50 years, maybe we're talking about like little microaggressions still, like somebody touched my hair or something like that. And that's all it is. Right. Um, so I, I don't know if it'll ever go away, yeah. but I feel like the severity will get smaller and smaller and smaller. That is definitely something to hope for, for yeah. the future generations. So on that topic specifically, do you think that because like right now we're dealing with police brutality. I feel it's our like modern day take on slavery because none of us were, you know, alive during that time. With the police brutality, do you think that that stems from just the culture of slavery and African-Americans being inferior all of these years? Definitely. You can see a long string from 
Africa to present day and all of the hardships and struggles that African Americans have have had to go through to the effects of what we're seeing today. Mm -hmm. um, police brutality, um, I think, is kind of it's it's part it's partly perception because the perception of African Americans today in general isn't necessarily positive. It's right. not necessarily, African Americans aren't necessarily seen as, on the whole, intelligent, self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. um, but why is that? When we have, when we are the creators and the originators of so much that has shaped the world that we know, it's so been, why is it's that? It's been beaten into American consciousness mm -hmm. for so long mm -hmm. that it's just hard to get away from it. Mm -hmm. You can get away from it if you have black friends or mm -hmm. black people you talk to mm -hmm. often and people who break stereotypes, mm -hmm. but it's also something that if you don't come in contact with those people very often, you're not necessarily going to have your viewpoints challenged. Okay. Um, and so I think like African Americans, even in slavery, even after slavery, were portrayed in the media as big-lipped. You have blackface. Yeah. You have these portrayals of um, lazy mm -hmm. Africans, uh, African Americans, and things like that. Um, there's actually a term <laughs> recently. I heard one of my students said after we we went out for a field trip and we had lunch, and they said they have the itis, and I was like, the itis? I never mm. heard of that because I I I call it a food coma mm -hmm. or turkey coma after Thanksgiving. Is right, right, right. Um, and I was like, the itis? What is that? And they're like, oh, it's when you're like full mm -hmm. and you feel tired. Mm -hmm. And I was like, interesting. So me being a nerd, mm -hmm. I went and looked it up. I was like, where does that come from? Who uses this? Mm -hmm. And it actually comes from a term to describe. African Americans in the past. Are you serious? Yes. Because I have heard that term used, but I never knew like the how it originated or what it meant. Yes, and I don't know how you feel about language on this podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> we are all adults. And I don't usually use this word, okay. but it comes from the word niggeritis. Really? Yes. Um, the thought of African Americans as lazy dumb, slow, that feeling that you get after you eat. Right, you after feel you slow, eat, you, you feel, feel sluggish, right. It's that personification of African-American. And see, and that's why this episode was so important. And I knew that I did not have the context to do it on my own. <laughs> I just, I don't have it, but I want to know more. And I've been researching, I've been reading. But that's why these type of topics, these conversations are important because I never knew that. Mm -hmm. And I have, I can say that I'm guilty of saying, Oh, I have the itis yeah. because it's just something that you hear and you don't think that it's actually a negative connotation, I believe. So, and today I don't think people like people don't use it in with that in mind, right? Because but I'm sure most of them don't from, even know, yeah, you yeah. know. But just to think that we're using a word that was once used to demean, demean us, yeah. you know, and to continue that. Oh my goodness, that vicious cycle of just being, I can't even, I did not know that. I'm glad that you yeah. shared that with us. I'm sitting over here like, yes. I've used that word. My kids have used yes. that word. My husband used it. Everyone that I know, especially if you're at like a family reunion or, and you're just like chowing down, you're picking out. Most people that I know, like that I can say that are in my immediate circle, in my immediate family, they say they, they have the itis. Mm -hmm. And I never knew that it could be 
connected to such a negative connotation of African Americans. Yeah. So I used it in the first and the last time in that <laughs> instance. Oh yes, it will be taken out of my vocabulary now that I know that. But that's why these you know these conversations are important yes. because we don't know and you're walking around using verbiage and language that is completely ignorant to your culture. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you can't say those things because once they were used. My husband came home the other day and he is, he can be so pretty, he can be really impulsive with certain things. And he called me at work and he was like, do you know where Hush Puppies came from? And I was like, hello, how are you? <laughs> like, I haven't talked to you since we left for work this morning. He was like, no, we were just sitting here talking about it. And Hush Puppies can be really, like, um, dated back to slavery. And I was like, what are you talking about? We just had a conversation about it at work. And I know you like Hush Puppies, but we can't eat Hush Puppies anymore. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> Since when? Yeah. He was telling me how they would like roll the cornmeal up into a ball to feed it to the dogs that would hunt the slaves when they tried to run away. Um. And that's why they would give it to them and say, hush puppy, because it would keep them full. So mm. the slaves that were running would never hear the dogs coming. And I was like, where did that come from? Like, I've never heard that before. He was like, we just had a whole conversation about it. I just looked it up online, and we're not eating hush puppies anymore. And I was like, oh. okay, we won't eat hush puppies anymore. Yeah. But it's like all these little things that are coming out that are directly related to slavery. And it's, it's so small and ingrained. It's so small, exactly. That's why it's hard to get rid of the, the perception. Exactly. And it's mm -hmm. like, who would have thought? I'm just thinking this. But you know who probably made the hush puppies taste good? For people, mm. the African Americans, it's, in exactly. <laughs> so you can still eat them. I hope so because I really <laughs> like them. And right. it's just like I don't want to not eat them because I really love them. I'm a pescatarian. I don't eat any of the meat, so I'm constantly eating like fish and um, shrimp. And it's like mm. you want hush, hush puppies, puppies yes. and he's come home like we're not eating the hush puppies <laughs> anymore because they fed them to the dogs that was hunting the slaves. I'm like this. I just I don't even know. And yeah. it's like so many things are coming out that we can link to that particular period in America mm -hmm. and it's mind blowing yeah. because almost anything that you think of there's something negative that connects it to that period and there's so many positive things that come Let's from talk African Americans about those. that okay. people prescribe as their own like the whole if, as we're on the topic of uh, food mm -hmm. the whole soul food yes. genre comes yes. from Africans and Absolutely. slaves finding scraps to cook with, putting fat back in collard greens mm -hmm. and everything. My that grandma, is an African American she fixed thing. Our with the fat back. Yeah. That's one of the rations they got. Right. Um, was that pork belly or pork fat or whatever? Um, the scraps. Right. They chitlins, took scraps and made them feet, meals. Those things that yes. still are in our families and in our traditions today. Yeah. yeah and so today we call it Southern culture, but it came from slave culture. From slave culture. Mm -hmm. And okay. some of that stuff actually comes from African culture as well. Like okay. The spices and the flavors mm -hmm. and melding it into what they have in America, you get what you got too. So, okay. Yeah. So on the timeline, where are we on the timeline? So we are uh, 1865 after Juneteenth mm -hmm. was first celebrated. Because I think we kind of jumped all over the place. So yeah, we're going we're we're gonna to go back. back. Yeah, right. We're going to go back, okay? Um, the 13th Amendment, like mm -hmm. we said, it's ratified um, on, in December mm -hmm. 1865, Africans are free. Um, they're using this time 
Republicans who want slaves to be free are using this time to capitalize on African American freedom. So you get the 13th Amendment passed. I didn't put this in the timeline, but the 14th Amendment that makes African Americans um, citizens passes within about a year or two of this too. Mm -hmm. The 15th Amendment that allows them to vote comes mm -hmm. soon after as well. And so the Republicans who have the majority in Congress mm -hmm. um, and this kind of like awakening of American consciousness to like do right by African Americans since they've lost um, also is alive and well. And so they're trying to do these things to like put legal steps to mm -hmm. have African Americans have more freedom and powers. But every step you take forward, mm -hmm. you have the Democrats who didn't want uh, slaves to be free wanting them to take steps backward as well. And so these black codes, okay. um, you have like poll taxes, mm -hmm. literacy tests. Mm -hmm. um, they have this thing called the grandfather clause where if your grandfather couldn't vote before the Civil War, you can't vote. Mm. Which imagine whose grandfathers could vote before no, the Civil War. No one? <laughs> like, <laughs> like literally no one? Yeah. Oh. And I guess technically it's not you can't vote, but it's you get... Um, kind of like a waiver from all of the poll tax and all that stuff. So you don't have to pay the poll tax or take the literacy test if your grandfather could vote before the Civil War. Okay. Um, and these literacy tests are like random, like draw a line around the third letter of the sentence or a third letter of the word in the sentence that starts with an A. Yeah, they weren't allowed to read or write, but you want them to pass the literacy mm -hmm. test. And it's if you couldn't prove that you have a fifth grade reading level. And of course, a lot of African-Americans didn't even go to one reading level. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, one, how are you supposed to in, supposed to read the instructions mm -hmm. that tell you you have like 10 minutes to finish a 13-question exactly. test mm -hmm. um, and that you have to pass it 100%. Mm -hmm. How am I supposed to know what you want me to do with this test? Exactly. In the first place? And my grandfather, he was born in 1933, and he has an eighth grade education. Mm -hmm. You know, he literally stopped at eighth grade to help his father with his um, carpenter business, and they built houses, and they were very successful. Mm -hmm. But he was born in 1933, and he has an eighth grade education. Yeah. So, you know, just thinking back to so that, he could read and he could write, but you could see the struggles there. Mm -hmm. and, and when I think back to them having to pass a test, it was impossible. They made it so difficult, even though they're saying, yeah, you're citizens now and you can do this, but they made it yes. very, they made it extremely difficult for them to be real citizens. Yeah. 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 And uh, they, attending school to only an eighth grade level sometimes is by quote, quote, choice, like mm -hmm. leaving to help the family. Mm -hmm. Others, it's by force because during that time also, you still have segregation. Mm -hmm. um, there's not going to be a lot of funding towards mm -hmm. your colored school mm -hmm. in the neighborhood. There's mm -hmm. probably not going to be a lot of colored schools in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So you'll probably only get a colored school that goes to eighth grade. Right. Or you'll have the white schools that go to like 12th grade and beyond, mm -hmm. but you're stuck over here and you can't integrate into those schools. You don't have those opportunities because you're not allowed to attend. Right. So my dad actually went to a segregated school up until I think he said eighth grade as well and then they integrated he's from Georgia okay um and they integrated and so he went to high school in an integrated school and okay. so I've asked him about that in the past he mm -hmm. said there was interesting instances of oh, teachers sure. having certain perceptions of him yeah and saying he won't ever pass or amount to anything and so it it's, this is recent history. Mm -hmm. Exactly, recent and stuff. I think that's yeah. where the disconnect is because we think it's like ancient history. Mm -hmm. We think it was so long ago, but when you think about it, your parents, your grandparents, mm -hmm. they all went through this timeline that we're speaking about. Mm -hmm. And I know my grandmother went to school, and she went all the way through and completed um, 12th grade, 
but she said it was like a seven mile walk, just one way to school. Yeah. And when you think about how challenging that is as a child having to walk that far just to get to school, to get an education that they don't want you to have, mm -hmm. It just puts so many barriers in place to make it even more challenging. Yeah. And I know my great auntie, she was born in 1930. Mm -hmm. She actually went to college. And that mm -hmm. was something that was like unheard of. Yeah. It was like going to college. Where? Who yeah. does this? Yeah. She went to college. Yeah. And she went after that. She graduated and she went back and she graduated and she went back. And she was like the pioneer in our family to let us know that education was important mm -hmm. and that you can do whatever you want to do. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't because I'm living proof that you can. Yeah. So you're looking at an African-American female born in the southern part of Virginia because the part that I'm from is considered really southern, mm -hmm. um, born in 1930 who went all the way through college. Yeah. And so there's stories out there that show how we um, overcame mm -hmm. and showed that we still did great things in spite of all the obstacles that were put in our path. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have those historically black colleges and university mm -hmm. being made too. And that actually happens right after the Civil War as well because you have these awakened African-Americans who are now free and mm -hmm. want to continue their rights or their fight for their rights mm -hmm. and everything. And you got different camps. I mean, the civil rights movement in the 60s, it, it kind of starts after the Civil War. You have W.E.B. Du Bois, mm -hmm. you have Booker T. Washington. Mm -hmm. They're kind of like our first Martin Luther King and Malcolm mm -hmm. X. They have two different ways of getting freedom and equality for black people. One's going to college and being an intellectual. One's going to trade school and being um, someone who works for what they want. Mm -hmm. um, neither of them are really the wrong way to do it. Right. Um, but because of these two different groups of thoughts, both centering around some sort of education, you have these black colleges and universities mm -hmm. built up. Um, Hampton University, Howard, all mm -hmm. those big places mm -hmm. um, that are still around today. Um, and so African-Americans continuously are fighting for right. their rights mm -hmm. as slaves or as free people. Um, and so I guess we can continue with the timeline too. After the 13th Amendment ratified, after we have all these freedoms, um, like I'm saying with the two civil rights movements or two parts to the civil rights movement in the 1960s, mm -hmm. we get the Ma Martin Luther King and Malcolm X um, and other people mm -hmm. who are influenced in civil rights. And Martin Luther King, he's centered around nonviolence. Right. And a lot of his um, actions are protests and sit-ins and marches mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, things that draw the public's eye. We're mm -hmm. just going to sit here mm -hmm. and wait for you to let us in mm -hmm. to vote. Right. If We're you come leaving. and you mm -hmm. beat us with clubs, it's going to be televised and people are going to say, hey, they weren't doing anything right. to invite you to beat them. Mm -hmm. Why are you beating them? Mm -hmm. um, that's, <laughs> I don't know if it's kind of like a good strategy, nonviolence, yeah. but it's like that's how you get people's attention is mm -hmm. the drama that mm -hmm. it brings. Mm -hmm. You go sit into a restaurant, you get the patrons mad at you, they start throwing hot coffee and milkshakes and stuff at you, and then you're on the news, mm -hmm. and people want to help you even more. Mm -hmm. um, it's sad that people need that. I, but I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. But, but it's very effective. Exactly. That's where they were at that time, so I get it. You know, people argue, people debate who was better for the civil rights movement, Malcolm X versus Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. And, I mean... They both were fighting for the same thing with just different techniques and different strategies. I, I cannot say. Yeah. I, I just, me born in the 80s, I cannot say who was better for the civil rights movement because they both risked their lives and dedicated their lives for when my mother was coming up to be able to go into any restroom she wanted mm -hmm. to. 
you know, to be able to go to a movie theater when she told me as children, they would come here to Buckrow Beach mm -hmm. and it was segregated. Yeah. Only African-Americans could access a very small part of the beach mm -hmm. and you could not go outside of that territory. And I'm like, I take my kids to the beach now and they can just go, go everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. And I feel like anyone during that time that was contributing to the freedoms and the liberties that we have now, I don't really care which way you did it, uh -huh. you got it done. Yeah. And I'm thankful yeah. and I'm grateful because <laughs> it's just like, you know, we can argue who was the better activist, who was the better leader, but I think they should both be celebrated equally, mm -hmm. you know? So. And I almost feel like you couldn't have done it without both of them. Exactly. Because you kind of have... You have the peaceful side mm -hmm. that will listen and mm -hmm. that you can negotiate with. You have the more aggressive side that if you don't listen to the peaceful side, we're going to come get you. We so it's kind of like coming. it's kind of yes. like the mom and dad of the situation. Like, if you don't listen to one, listen to the other one. It was not having it. You know, he'll be like, oh, okay, they didn't do what we needed them to do. Mm -hmm. We're on our way. Yeah. And he approached it a totally different way. But I think, like you said, both strategies were necessary to get to where they needed things to be at that mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Okay. And so one of the um, campaigns, I guess you could call them, that he, uh, Martin Luther King, started um, was called the Poor People's Campaign. Mm -hmm. And this one happened, started in like 1968. Okay. Um, so it's quite a ways into the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement starts around 1954, I want to mm -hmm. say. I think the, boys, the bus boycott in Montgomery is the first thing that kind of, the first big event that happens. Um, but Martin Luther King... He is talking back and forth with the president kind of directly as well, um, President Lyndon B. Johnson at the time. Lyndon B. Johnson has got a lot going on. He wants to do right by Americans and African Americans and give them civil rights and allow them to do these things, but he also kind of doesn't want to, like, I don't know, see him as somebody to, like, walk over. Mm -hmm. He's a very interesting president. Mm -hmm. um, but he starts a war in Vietnam, and so they're fighting in Vietnam. Um, for democracy, but it's kind of like people kind of have an issue with the war as well. Um, he is starting a war on poverty at this time. He thinks that's the reason why mm -hmm. a lot of minorities are struggling is because they don't have the wealth they need to be successful. Okay. And at this time, that is an issue, right. poverty. Absolutely. Um, but yeah. you also have other things going on <laughs> that are issues. Equally um, important, right. And he's also working with Martin Luther King and mm -hmm. other uh, civil rights activists to kind of create legislation. So you've had some um, legislation made, like Civil Rights Act of uh, 1965 was a big one with the Voting Rights Act, mm -hmm. um, different things like that. Martin Luther King wants to kind of throw Lyndon B. Johnson's wars in his face. Martin Luther King doesn't like the war in Vietnam. Right. A lot of people don't really like it. There's yeah. some people that really do like it. Mm -hmm. um, but Martin Luther King doesn't like it. He also kind of laughs at the war in poverty. Mm -hmm. um, and so what he does is he organizes this poor people's campaign to kind of like be, okay, so we're the poor people you're mm -hmm. talking about. Here's mm -hmm. your war on poverty. Mm -hmm. We're going to come to Washington, D.C., Washington, your front door, and sit here until you make some concessions for us. They want like money, um, billions of dollars to kind of help with infrastructure and housing and a certain amount of houses to be built mm -hmm. to kind of like get rid of the slums mm -hmm. and ghettos and stuff that they're forced to live in, um, which at this time, most of the people living in those places are African-Americans or people of color, mm -hmm. just because we talked about it in the past. Yeah. 
they've grown up mm-hmm. in these areas. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, a cycle. Yeah, yeah, it's a cycle. Um, and so what happens during this, I think this is pretty cool. There's multiple marches that happen in D.C. The March to Washington is a big one. That's mm-hmm. his I Have a Dream speech mm-hmm. um, happens there. This one specifically, they get, I want to say either 3,000 or 5,000 people to start. They go to the National Mall, and it's basically like a huge sit-in. Okay. They just sit there. Um, the National Mall is the spot between the Washington Monument and the Capitol mm-hmm. Building, and then all the Smithsonian, Smithsonians are around it. Mm-hmm. So they just sat there, um, and they like built up this kind of shanty town with like tents and mattresses and stuff, um, and they called it Resurrection City. Mm, Don't okay. really know why. Okay. <laughs> but they called it Resurrection City, I guess kind of like a rebirth mm-hmm. of people. Uh, you won't put us down. We're coming mm-hmm. back up. We're coming back up. Um, what they've continually done throughout yes, hundreds yes. of years. Okay. As... People and it's it's both African Americans and white Americans doing this as well. Okay. Um, as the news is following this, you got thousands of people in National Mall like just living there. Mm-hmm. Um, more people join them, and by the end, I think about fifty thousand people mm. have set up camp on the National Mall in D.C. Um, and they sit there for about sixty days, so two wow. months they're mm-hmm. camped out there, mm-hmm. um, asking and demanding mm-hmm. more money, more housing, better conditions, different things like that, um, to say, "Hey, you wanted a war on poverty? Here it is. Give us like, where's where's your like battling? Come on, <laughs> right? We're here. Yeah, you see us, all fifty thousand of us. We're here. Yes. Okay. Um, it's." Fairly successful, but during the course of the campaign, Martin Luther King is actually assassinated. Yeah. Um, I believe he's assassinated in April mm-hmm. of that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the um, campaign started before he was assassinated. While it was going, he was assassinated. And then the other leaders who were running the campaign decided, let's keep it going mm-hmm. in his name and in his memory and for what they set out to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... They're out there for another good month and a half. Um, and what happens is their, I don't want to say lease, but their contract or whatever for mm-hmm. using the space for their protest mm-hmm. um, is expiring. Okay. And so they have to, they're kind of like evicted, <laughs> which is kind of ironic. <laughs> I, mean, I can't make this stuff up, okay? This really happened. We're not making this yeah. up. Um, and so they're forced to leave. But before they go, they have this big celebration. Mm-hmm. And it's around June. It's around June 19th. Okay. Um, June 19th had kind of gone down mm-hmm. um, in celebration. Um, people didn't really like celebrate it as much um, due to various things. World War II, we had gone through Great Depression, mm-hmm. all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not good stuff, but right. <laughs> all of that stuff. Yeah. All that stuff. And so they're like, okay, so let's bring this celebration back. Okay. Um, we're doing this for the war on poverty, for African Americans, mm-hmm. minorities, mm-hmm. Um, people who are poor, mm-hmm. and just have a big celebration and bring back Juneteenth. And so this Poor People's Campaign kind of brings Juneteenth into the new century mm-hmm. and people start to um, celebrate it more often. Okay. And so you have that big celebration happening in this uh, end of the 60s. Mm-hmm. People continue to celebrate it in the 70s. And then in 1980, Texas, where it all started, mm-hmm. becomes the first state to make it an official state holiday. Gotcha. And so Texas celebrates it as an official state holiday. Um, and then from then until today, I think I saw something um, that said as of June or as of 2014, 43 states 
have it really? as their national or not national their state holiday, their state holiday. Mm-hmm. Okay. i don't remember if any other ones have done it since june okay. 14th but it is not yet a national holiday not, not national um, holiday. but it does show up on calendars like yeah. i have some calendars at it home does. that has it on there mm-hmm. so yeah okay so that's how we get to our modern day celebration of juneteenth so mm-hmm. during this timeline that we just went through and being that this is a platform for women and what a lavender woman is, is a woman that embraces and embodies um, grace and poise and just being the best versions of themselves that they could be. Who are the lavender women of this era and um, of this timeline that we've discussed? Mm-hmm. Um, there, you could have a whole bunch from where we came in Africa up mm-hmm. until present day. But mm-hmm. I guess focusing on the timeline of like Civil War and where it all started. Mm-hmm. Um, Two main ones stick out to me. Okay. Harriet Tubman. Of course. And Sojourner Truth. absolutely was a Lavender Woman. Listen, <laughs> if podcasts were a thing back then, like, she would have, she was the poster child. Like, she yes. was literally what a Lavender Woman is. Yes. She was real, like, tough, too. Um, Harriet Tubman, she, even before the Civil War, she was a slave. Um, she decided to run away. I don't remember which year, but she runs away mm-hmm. uh, to the north mm-hmm. and decides to kind of make it her life's work to free the rest of her family and mm-hmm. friends mm-hmm. and other slaves. And from, I, I want to say, like, 1850s mm-hmm. to the start of the Civil War, she frees about, like, 100 to 300 mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, could be more. Yeah, it could be. Not, like, there's not a good documentation of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but she makes multiple trips back to the South, deep South, um, chancing her life and chancing her freedom. I was going to say, you had <laughs> to be, like, fearless. Yes. Because imagine how scary that is. I mean, you could die. You could be captured. You could be, I mean, so many different things could have happened, but she went for it. She yeah. was like, oh, no, I'm going back to get them and get in my way if you want to. Like, my kids always said, because I took them to D.C., to the Smithsonian mm-hmm. um, Museum of African-American History, and, you know, there were pictures of her in there. I believe they had a, her Bible there, and there was this one picture. I don't know whether that picture was there or whether it was just something I showed them online of her sitting there with, like, I'm not a gun enthusiast, so I don't know whether it was like a rifle or a shotgun. So they was like, Mommy, is that real? I was like, oh, she went hard. Like, <laughs> she, she did. <laughs> okay, she went. She was not playing yes. about the freedom of her family and other slaves. Yes. Yeah. So she definitely was a lavender woman. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. she is like forever a lavender woman. We're going to like put her on the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yes, yeah. She... Um, through all of her visits back down to the South, mm-hmm. I mean, she went different routes. It right. wasn't the same route every time, but she met a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the system she used, we call the Underground Railroad. Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what the Underground Railroad, it's not an actual railroad. It There's is no not. trains. It is not. Um, and it's not actually underground. It is not. Um, but it's a system of people, white Americans and uh, free blacks, mm-hmm. um, and maybe some slaves too, um, that helped runaway slaves get to the north Mm -hmm. or to the west even Mm -hmm. and so they They provided safe passage yeah 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 so they would stay in their houses Mm -hmm. or churches or whatever Mm -hmm. um there's actually a church there was a church made by slaves in savannah georgia that i went to recently um and they if when you go in they have like holes Mm -hmm. in the floor they i would assume and they say that it's for the slaves that they hid there to be underneath the floorboards and not like suffocate so they have holes to breathe through. right right yeah um 
but things like that they experienced on the Underground Railroad. And so through this network, she met all these people and had all these connections. She knew the land. Mm-hmm. Um, the Civil War happens. Mm-hmm. They need someone to get some intelligence from the Confederates. Mm-hmm. Who better to do that mm-hmm. than Harriet Tubman? Come on now. So not only does she uh, become a super popular conductor on the Underground Railroad, but she also is a spy mm-hmm. during the Civil War for the Union. Mm-hmm. And so she actually, I know of one um, different raid she did on a plantation. I want to say it was in Georgia. Um, but she actually was at Fort Monroe mm-hmm. um, as a, uh, as a uh, spy. They sent her out. A lot of the things she did was kind of like raiding plantations mm-hmm. and like getting intelligence and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but she still helped the Union. She did. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so that took a lot of guts as it well. It did. I'm she was fearless. <laughs> yeah. She was not scared of, it seems like, anything or anyone. Yeah. She was just really fearless. Yeah. I, I need some of her strength because yeah. some people just like, I'm scared to do that. But she was just like, listen, I am here, and there's nothing anyone can do about it. Yes. So definitely and One a last thing woman. to add to her resume. Okay. She was a nurse during the Civil War. Yeah. So she was helping wounded soldiers. She was spying for the union, mm. and she was helping people run away Look and get freedom. Look how long women women have existed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so who would be the second um, woman that you would contribute to being a lavender woman during this time frame? So Jonah Truth, during the Civil War, she's kind of like, if you had like a mom and dad to the civil rights abolitionist mm-hmm. movement mm-hmm. that are African Americans, it would be Frederick Douglass and Sojourner Truth. Sojourner Truth, yeah. Sojourner Truth, she was a slave. Um, she didn't have a lot of like educational experience, mm-hmm. but she was a pretty good speaker. And so she did a lot of um, speeches and appearances at different events. Um, one of her famous speeches is Ain't I a Woman? Mm. Which the transcript of the speech has kind of gone through some iterations. Some people have it written in like stereotypical like slave language mm-hmm. and they assume that's what she would have speak or spoke with um but some people say that may not have been how she said it and mm-hmm. they were just doing that to like mm-hmm. show her in a certain way right um but basically she was an abolitionist and i guess you could say a feminist because mm-hmm. she was a woman's right oh, activist as well absolutely <laughs> yeah she probably was like one of the first feminists yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. so she's up there with Frederick Douglass, elizabeth Kenny, stanton all those people Fighting for the rights of African Americans mm-hmm. and fighting for the rights of African American women, women as well. Absolutely. So each week on the podcast, we plant seeds of intention, which are our seeds of lavender. And for seven days, we water that seed and we allow it to grow. The seed of intention for this week is knowledge. I have learned so much and just by sitting here with you that I didn't know. And I thought I was pretty, pretty <laughs> knowledgeable, but now I'm sitting here like, girl, you know nothing. You need to rethink your entire life. You know nothing. So just knowledge, just plant seeds of knowledge um, this week. Well, let's plant them continuously throughout our lives, but let's um, really hone in on it this week to learn as much as we can about our cultures and um, the timelines that affected our cultures. And also each week we do an affirmation. And because we've talked about um, the freedoms and the liberties that we have now because of our ancestors. I want to make the affirmation about strength. So the affirmation for this week is, I am strong because of my ancestors' strength. When we think about everything that they went through, everything that they endured, 
even through the civil rights movement. Like this isn't something that happened so long ago that you can't relate to it. Sit down and have a talk with your parents. Sit down and have a talk with your grandparents if they're still alive. Some people still have their great grandparents. They can tell you stories of the injustice and of the discrimination and the racism that they have endured in this country. Have those conversations with them. So the affirmation is, I am strong because of my ancestors' strength. We are stronger as a culture because of the strength that they um, they showed so just effortlessly throughout the hundreds of years that they were enslaved and imprisoned and discriminated against and just it's just horrendous, um, you know, what they went through. So that'll be our affirmation for this week. Um, this episode is actually going to air on Juneteenth of this year. So it will be Wednesday, June 19th of 2019. Just think about how many years has, you know, have come and gone since the original Juneteenth, um, I guess, inauguration <laughs> of Juneteenth. Like, this is 2019. It'll be airing on that day. It makes my heart so happy that I had the opportunity to sit down with someone who could educate us and just share knowledge with us about that particular part in our African-American history that also impacts American history. So did you want to add anything else? Any f closing notes for the episode? I guess since this airs on Juneteenth, mm -hmm. um, if you would like to celebrate Juneteenth, yes, it's not just something that we sit there and we're like, okay, let's remember it and reflect. This right. is like a you go and cook out and thank you. See, <laughs> celebrate. When I was on my Instagram post. I was like, why do we have Fourth of July cookouts but not June nineteenth yeah. cookouts? Like, if you want to throw a cookout, you want to have a real celebration, and you are, you know, African American, you're from African descent. That's the day that we should celebrate more so than July 4th because nothing really happened for us on that day. And I'm not a historian, I'm not a teacher, but I don't see anything <laughs> worth celebrating for our culture on, you know, July 4th. Um, yeah, we were able to get our independence from Great Britain. All of that great stuff happened. But how did that affect us? Mm -hmm. It really didn't. So if we're going to have um, celebrations, and we should make this a celebration. We should be having cookouts. We should be reflecting. We should be making this as popular as other um, holidays. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make a commitment to work on that to celebrate the dates that mean so much to my african-american culture so yeah there's definitely communities that have parades and cookouts yeah and, things. and they should so. it should be something that's celebrated like across uh, the united states especially mm -hmm. um to celebrate this holiday and it's just is it just breaks my heart that so many people don't even know about it yeah you know, so that's the main reason I wanted to do this episode, just to shed some light on this event that really changed, that started the change of our culture. Yes. So, you guys, it's been great. It's been real. I hope that you learned something. I hope that you share this podcast with someone. Um, this, po this episode is not just for African Americans. It's for anyone. Um, because if you have African American friends, their families, you know, probably benefited from the actual Juneteenth happening. So this is for everyone, not just one particular race, one particular culture. And when we come together, we can definitely be stronger than when we are apart. So continue being lavender, be good to one another, and know that there's nowhere in life you can go where love and light can't find you. See you next week.